This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Support for this podcast comes from Talenti. When Talenti makes gelato and sorbet, they tend to get a little overzealous. Do they need to use so many raspberries in their Roman raspberry sorbet that the machine broke? Did they need to try 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice for their vanilla chai gelato? Did they have to invent giant mini steepers to make their Mediterranean mint super minty? Does their obsessiveness just make Talenti gelato and sorbet the greatest? You be the judge. But yes, it does make them the greatest. And they're also the judge. Talenti, the delicious is in the details. Hello, one. Hello, all. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, ever-present Ray Harkins, coming to hang out with you and a special other person who is usually called the guest, talking about independent music, where they came up, how they got influenced by it, and uh, why they care about it so much, because uh, that's the that's the crux of the show. That's why that's the the meat on this bone, even though I don't eat meat, so you'll, that's the veggie meat on this bone. But uh, the guest this week is Cameron Boucher or Boucher. I don't know how to say it because I'm not professional, but Cameron he plays in a band called Sorority Noise. He also played in a band called, uh, or technically still plays in a band called Old, Old Grey because they released some music, uh, I want to say last year, they released a full length. But uh, this conversation was spectacular. When I announced it on last week's episode, I had multiple people being like, can't wait for this episode, can't wait for this episode. And uh, that's awesome. I always like it when people do that. So thank you. And if you don't follow the show on Twitter or any other social media, at 100 Words Podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that other stuff. But I got it. We have a jam-packed episode. I've got some bands to recommend you. I've got some fun stuff to talk to you about. So let's dive in, and I'll talk about Cam, and then we'll uh, get into the interview. So first of all, Rise Against, unbelievable band. Their new record is called Wolves, and you need to pre-order it. Go to riseagainstshop.com. It comes out June 9th, and they're on tour all summer long with Deftones, my boys in Thrice, <laughs> and it's just going to be a, a really fun tour, and I can't wait to see that roll through Southern California. And their new record, they came out with a single about two weeks ago. It's unbelievable, and they've got a bunch of awesome options as far as T-shirts, vinyl, anything you need. I appreciate the vinyl because uh, that's what I do, you know, uh, support the scene or something like that. But please, Rise Against, unbelievable band. Their new record is called Wolves, and go pre-order the record at riseagainstshop.com. I also have to tell you about another amazing podcast on this Jabberjaw Media Network that uh, is uh, collected because there are so many shows and podcasts out there that you you know you don't know what to listen to only when a friend or someone who you trust to kind of point you in the direction and so Peer Pleasure Podcast it's hosted by a friend of mine named Dewey I actually appeared on his show a couple weeks ago months ago I'm not exactly sure when but uh, yeah you can dive back in the archives and uh, he just had an interview with uh, Anthony Green from Seosin Circus Survive. He's got great guests. He's got uh, it's a very similar style to what this show does. So if you like what this show is, you will absolutely love the Peer Pleasure podcast. And you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. So please check that out because, uh, yeah, he, he's doing a good thing. And, uh, yeah, I was a guest of the show. So <laughs> there we go. Uh, I also have to tell you about an amazing, amazing service call. And I, I use the word amazing. Maybe I shouldn't use that as much. But how about a very compelling? How about a awesome service called Simple FM. The reason I'm so pumped on them is because, uh, yeah, I interviewed the uh, one of the founder co-owners. I can't remember exactly what his title is, but he, he's been there since the start, and uh, that's going to be in an upcoming episode. But the service is unbelievable because it's it, it, basically it makes music sharing super fun. So you can follow me on Symbol FM. Just go to symbol.fm and you'll be able to download it, or you can download it on your uh, iOS 
device and basically it just uh it makes it very easy to share songs you can see what your friends are sharing and it's you know it's not lost in the other social media kerfuffle that happens out there whether it's like oh yeah i shared on instagram but like i I don't know i gotta like dive back in and do this symbol just pulls it all right in there and uh please follow me at x purpose x that's my online moniker for many many years and so you can follow me on there and we can share music and i know a few of you have already done that so awesome keep it up okay and the last thing i have to tell you before we get into our interview with cam is about an old friend an amazing band called holy pinto they're from the uk they're you know indie pop emo whatever you like to call them but uh this track that i played uh, a couple months ago it uh, it got a lot of people excited. Like people wrote me and were like, "What? What is that band? Where can I buy that record?" So that's why I'm here again, telling you about it because the band's awesome. So the song is called Hospital Room, and you can check out the full length on Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp. This summer, they're releasing some new music and playing some shows in the UK where they're from and in the United States. So follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, you'll be able to find them there and say that hundred words or less the podcast sent you so we're going to listen to this song hospital room right now and then uh i will pop in talk about cam for a sec and then we'll uh, pop into the episode right how about that so uh here here is hospital room it's such a pretty hospital room it's like an old hotel that we once went to it's such a pretty hospital room it's like an old In the daily routine And I miss you More than I'll admit It's such a pretty hospital Reminds me of my finest days of school It's such a pretty So there you have it. That was uh, Hospital Room by Holy Pinto. Great band, so check them out. Cameron from Sorority Noise, Old Grey. Uh, This discussion was a long time in the making. We started scheduling it last year, and then we only finally got together. It was maybe about a month or so ago that we talked. But uh, this, him and I, 
we just just clicked right away. Like, I love it when I don't know a person, but I know a person, and then we start talking, and we just immediately dive into it. And uh, he was so down to have a bunch of different conversations that I don't uh, really typically go to. We talk a little bit about spirituality. Uh, we talk about a lot of fun stuff. But here, here's that chat, and I'll talk to you after the episode is over. So uh, enjoy. And I got keyed into you uh, via Old Gray. Uh, I used to help out No Sleep Records with just some. I don't know. I I, I hate to use the oh word. word. I hate I hate to use the word consultant because that makes me sound like some like corporate raider or something like that. But I was uh, some 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 corporate fat <laughs> yeah, cat, totally. some ba- a, a big wig, yeah, some suit, you know, coming in to consult. But uh, yeah, someone uh, yeah someone sent us the record, and uh, I, it was one of those things where I listened to it and it was just like dude this was like really taken aback like really enjoyed it um but the thing that it would impress me the most like so I, i'm 36 years old and you know played in bands been involved in music for a, you know a long time and so i always get really excited when i hear bands that take you know from the past musical genres but put their own twist on it in order to make it you know whatever uh, palpable for people who might not have as much context as you know old farts like me or whatever but um, totally like a reverb pedal right <laughs> yeah <it's> totally. <laughs> but it's just it, it seems like a very common theme in a lot of the music that you create you know from old gray to sorority noise um is that it's like you're you're you, you wear your influences on your sleeve but you're putting your own twist on it in a way that's like oh but it's still you know hit, quote unquote hip enough for the kids or whatever you know um is that yeah, yeah. Is that kind of always just the space that you've written in, or was that something that you kind of were intentionally uh, going for when you first started to kind of you know experiment with music? I listen to a lot of fucking music, and sometimes in a way it's like uh, feels like too much. Like I feel like I was, especially during when Old Gray was first starting, I was checking out anything and everything for some guidance or because I wanted to explore like my favorite musician ever is Regina Spector. And then, but when I was in high school, I was like, well, obviously she was at the high point then as well for my enjoyment of her music. But I was also into this like crazy underground world of screamo that like I had this chip on my shoulder that if like you didn't know the band I was talking about, I would be elitist. And that was terrible. Why would anyone do that? Right. Like I, I look back now and I'm just like, I would say things and like, in like a high school in New Hampshire and like to some kids that, you know, genuinely didn't give a shit about what the music I listened to was and be like, do you know, like, have you heard the new, I don't know, Sweet Laloon record? And people are just like, absolutely not. Like, I have not heard that. Don't make me feel bad about not hearing it because it's, it's not part of my story or my, any things I enjoy. So I had this, this like, I, especially back then I was like very, I was like, you know how Screamo can be. Some people, like the people who collect Screamo records, just you know, you know what it is. Like, there's this thing in jazz too, where it's kind of just like, because um, I went to school for jazz. If you can't name the personnel for a record, people will like, I just say vibe. That makes me sound really jazz. People will vibe you, right? Like, listen to like uh, Miles Davis. Let's just say Kind of Blue or Coltrane's Blue Train. And if you can't name who drummed on it, people are like, oh, really? You don't know who drummed on this record? And it's just like, what do you mean? I enjoy the record. And so there's elements of that in every kind of music. And I think that 
and through that comes like this deep obsession of a music at a certain time. And then as soon as you're over it, you act like you never listened to it. And I think that's what bothers me is that like, I have no problem like tipping my cap or lending or borrowing or not borrowing, but just like giving a nod or like at least acknowledging that I listen to all kinds of music or a specific thing. If you want to mention it in a song, um, like, I don't know. I, I like 2007, the 2000 man, let's say like 2004 to 2008 was like for me i think like pinnacle mu- like music of my taste mm-hmm. and so if i'm now you know maybe like playing some stuff that sounds like it maybe could have been pulled off in 2005 i'm not gonna act like that's not true i'm not gonna be like no way like you have no like you how dare you right. try and act like i dare you act like i try and listen to music so yeah it's i I think i think it's always been involved but it never necessarily trying to like vibe on anything so much as like you just listen to music and you take it in and you as a music writer or a performer or a listener right right take that for what it's worth and apply it to your life as, as it as it may be so yeah totally i think that i've always just kind of been listening to music and i'm always trying to like take the things i enjoy because it's like i don't know i had this thing where i was trying to write I had like 25 examples of what I thought was the perfect song structure. Like I was like, there's only 25 structures and there's, there's so many, there's millions. Right. But I was like working on this like thing that like I listened to enough music where I was like this genre, does this, this genre, this is pop music is like this punk music is like this. If you do this, it makes you more indie. Like I, I love analyzing music and I, I love listening to music, but it's not necessarily like most of the songs I write are done in like half an hour. So it's like, I guess when it starts, it's just like an amalgamation of different things kind of going on there. And then as it, as it evens itself out through the rest of the band being involved, that's where it kind of finds its, its place where it sits. Right. Right. Does that make any sense? That's no. so like insane. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I get, I, I see your, you're weaving your train of thought. I mean, it makes sense because, uh, you know, as you start to experiment musically yourself you're you know you're gonna first try to mimic the bands that you like but then as uh, hopefully as you start to grow not only as a musician but a music consumer you're just gonna start adding layers to that you know you're gonna start bringing, totally yeah and I, I think that's i what really resonated with me and what you were saying is that people do like you know when i say people i use that in air quotes as far as like the large totally. larger listening body of people music wise is that they do you know completely turn their backs on like oh dude like i never listened to blink 182 and you're like what yeah it's you're like well fuck you dude <laughs> <laughs> totally it's like no you did like just don't act like that was uh i mean i understand that may be a time and a place for you and you may look back nostalgically on it but don't act like you didn't listen to it yeah i mean like i like i'm not gonna act like even even more so it's just like i loved dance gavin dance was a yeah. band i was really fond of growing up and i was in the van once and i just tweeted i was like you know, Kurt Travis is my favorite dance game and dance vocalist. And not even thinking in a, like, totally separate world. Like, that's a band that was in the metalcore territory. My bands don't necessarily touch that area. But it's just, like, that was a band I enjoyed. Flash forward a, a day later, Kurt and I were, like, ended up having a conversation about music. And I thought that was the coolest thing. I went to go see him play when he was in Philly the next time he was around here. And it's now, it's like, word, just because 
maybe not enjoying dance Gavin dance isn't the coolest thing I can do right now I don't give a shit I, I re- like it's important to respect the things that got you to where you are today yeah and I, that's a band I, I just I don't know I see a lot of people trying to shut out certain music that I know or like sometimes I'll see someone talking shit and I obviously I, I take nothing personally like people also on the other spectrum have every reason not to like a certain band like because someone doesn't like your music that's fine like you know, the last thing you can do is take that personally because you don't like a lot of music i don't like a lot of music and that's based off opinions i formed myself yeah absolutely. and it doesn't necessarily mean the band sucks but it just means it's not for me and so when someone but sometimes you'll see someone like i don't know i don't obviously i don't look into things too much but you'll see just in the comment section on a, a forum or a blog that i still want stuff a lot someone will be like oh yeah like old gray sucks and it's like, I look at the name and I'm like, dog, I remember shipping. Or I go back and check my big cartel. I'm like, I shipped you a shirt. <laughs> like you, right. you ordered a shirt. So I did all my mail own mail order till about like a year ago. Like I know I packed those packages. <laughs> like I, I read the name. Totally. And uh, it's just like, why would like, you just say like they suck now or not say they suck. But it's just like, to add, I want the comment be like, when did they suck? Like, why are you just, like, acting like you didn't like it at all? And that, again, doesn't bother me at all. I could give a shit, but it's just strange. Yeah, but Cam, you're you're expecting people to give context on the internet? Oh, my God, my friend. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, yes, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going to be justified by them yeah. being like, like, what happens? Do I comment and say, like, oh, really, dude? Here's your shipping order. Right. And they go, oh, no, I mean it like that. Like, I didn't think you'd see it. Or, right. yeah, dude, your band sucks. Go fuck yourself. I don't win in any of those scenarios. No. no. You just got to chill and be your, just know what you're doing and be on that path. And as long as I think you're a good person, it shouldn't matter what other people think. Yeah. Use, using a basketball metaphor, just shoot your shot, man. Who cares what it looks like? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, it, it, you know, I, I have to kind of tie uh, this conversation into uh, your upbringing in because uh, you, were you born and raised in New Hampshire or was that just yes. okay? Live, live or die, baby. Exactly, dude. <laughs> so I have I have <laughs> to I have to imagine that um, you know living in a state like New Hampshire, which you know is not ever considered a cultural hub of of anything as far as art as far as independent music is concerned. Like you very rarely hear about bands that come from New Hampshire. Um, was that sort of isolation from you know being attached to a big music scene part of what gave you the ability to you know like a bunch of different genres of music because you didn't have people being like hey cam like that's not cool to listen to because you know you had 10 friends that are you know judging you based on the music you're listening totally to. maybe but so when i was in new hampshire this is not like weirdly small new hampshire or at least my perception even because growing up i knew new hampshire was small i didn't think that new hampshire was like just because a lot of my friends played sports and it was just like you found out pretty quick that like if you were the best basketball player in New Hampshire guess what Florida and California exist like too bad like you're not the best in the world you're the best in New Hampshire which is like is there's a small state in the, in the corner of the country and uh but there was a lot of bands I grew up loving and like or an example of like how small it was I guess going back was uh Adam Sandler graduated from my high school and spoke at my graduation uh, a whole lot of things in my life were tied with Adam Sandler and uh, his nephew Jared graduated with me uh, and uh, I genuinely didn't realize how popular of an actor Adam Sandler was until I left New Hampshire to go to school in Connecticut because I thought it was kind of just one of those like hometown hero like we watch his movies because he's in it and I like see hearing people quote Adam Sandler films outside of New Hampshire is like still strange to me because I'm just like 
totally never even perceived that he was like this massive monster of an actor or like famous person right. i just assumed we were all just rooting for him you know because he's from new hampshire right and we, we had bands growing up like like the screamo scene in new hampshire was really really good there's a bank of lantidum from around there that i grew up seeing uh furnace bravo fucking bravo uh Sinaloa is from up there uh-huh. and I only grew up about 40 minutes 45 to an hour from Boston so I could catch a lot of DIY stuff when my parents would let me leave the house and like travel and trust me to go to Boston because the Boston's the big city when you're from New Hampshire I guess it's the big city when you're from really anywhere it's a pretty big city but uh yeah but I would just yeah book shows but I remember when I was a senior in high school I, Old Grey started and I started booking bands myself and uh had some shows. I remember I booked the first Dowsing tour. It was the in New Hampshire the first Old Grey show we ever played? Was the first time Dowsing toured, and we played a show together. I thought it was really cool, and I like the sense of community. I wasn't always super involved with, but I wanted to be, and like I would. I was like, but I was also like, I don't know. I was, I was in a lot of places. Like I was going to basement screamo shows to see like Dennis Strap Tiger and like. Lon Tiedem and, and bands like that while wearing an all-time low t-shirt for purple bandanas and a pair of zebra skinny jeans. Right, right. You're, yeah, and you're, so... Unironically, too. Totally, yeah. I was just... I was That was who I was when I was 16. Right. And the people in the scene in New Hampshire didn't treat me... This maybe they probably did at the time, but I didn't notice. I thought I was just like... You know, I could imagine myself now being in a basement with five other people watching a screamo band play and seeing someone just as I did there. And it's just you got to know that people are coming from all different places and lending all different types of music and stylings to what they do and what they know. Yeah, yeah. And that was like a huge thing for me was just like can't judge it. Everyone who's here for the gig is here for the gig and they want to experience it. You got to let that happen. It's important. That no, it's a very, so, it's a very crucial point because I, I think that I mean, do you look at it from the perspective of if you know you were to show up to a show and feel totally you know ostracized, judged, whatever, when it's supposed to be a space in which people can you know feel uninhibited totally but yeah. the point the point that's missed by people is the fact like yo they found out about this like that is a that is a feat in and of itself like yeah you could argue yeah. like, oh facebook invites and everything else makes it easier but like still that person found out about it and they've showed up and that says more than maybe other people who are like super involved in the scene or whatever yeah as soon as uh, it's five dollars to your touring to, to get some gas yeah, you know what i mean totally. it's it's five dollars that wouldn't have been there and the fact that anyone goes to see I like to think of it this way. The fact that anyone comes see my shit music happen live is beyond me. Like, it's crazy. Like the fact that one person comes, the fact that a hundred people come, the fact you know, no matter how many people come, it's always astounding that anyone comes to see you play music because anything can happen. The stuff, music, going to see music live is like, you gotta have a real good day in order to go do that. Like anything can happen in your day. Bad thing at work, any amount of news, any tired, level of tiredness could just be like i'm gonna stay home tonight i don't know i'll just, I'll just listen to the music also buy buy a shirt or something like that online or whatever yeah the fact that people go see live music is really cool especially in the amounts of numbers people go see live music so i think it's important also to note that like the fact that anyone's supporting your band you should be intensely and incredibly grateful for yeah obviously if they're a shithead like if they're a bad person then like right. tell them off like if they don't like match a mantra or uh, like a creed that you adhere to then like yeah like fuck them but if they're like doing their thing and they're just trying to get involved and like they're something you're doing is evoking some kind of emotional response in them that's the coolest shit that can happen yeah appreciate it right 
and your uh, yeah. you, your your upbringing, like, how, what was your family structure like? Like, mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters. What did what did you? Yeah, do? my brother. My brother is a my brother's like a basketball player, and uh, he's a firefighter now. He's uh, just about to turn twenty one. My mom's a teacher. My dad's a mechanic. So like, it wasn't like everyone has in Hampshire. You think a very traditional. You know, music, it wasn't like I was, there was no plan in which this happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like, there was no way that I was going to be 23 and able to sustain, pay my rent off of playing live music. Yeah. Like, that was just not, there was nothing I even thought about. And so, it's still something that I think is, you know, fleeting, or it could be, and I don't want to, like, be comfortable at any moment. You have to keep grinding and working to make sure that you can continue to stay in the space that you are in right right uh, but yeah i went i went to they want they pushed me to go to college i was going to be a communications major ended up like getting to go to school for jazz saxophone and music production which i know they weren't huge on it was just like it was very non-traditional and i'm the only person in like my extended family to do music and uh but they've been supportive nonetheless but it's just been confusing you know what I mean? Because a lot of the, it's hard to it's hard to explain to your dad. Like, yes, I have no money in my bank account, and I'm using half of the money I'm getting paid from work this week to drive to Boston to play a show and make no money. Right. <laughs> but I lo- I love it. Like I will. I'm. I, I trust me. It's going to be okay. Right. And like I'll work. I'll work. I'll work harder just to make more money or whatever. I just love doing this. So it's it's a, it's a tough sell to people who aren't. Or like I remember this. You ever heard that hardcore band Circe? It was like C R C E. Oh yeah 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 they played my parents house once <laughs> nice and i like told them i was like please and they were like okay yeah, maybe we could have some shows in the garage if, if you really this is something you really like we can try and do it that was the first and last show that ever happened in my house because it was like they were on like a war path like drummer was like punching in his his floor tom and my dad was just like mortified and my mom was like covering my little brother's ears and it was awesome the fact that something anyone can let anyone's like the fact that my parents let someone play in my garage is awesome. Yeah, no, that's and, uh, that's spectacular. And so yeah, that was just a funny example of my parents. And like, I, for the, my mom, think for about a year, thought that veganism was called Whole Foods. Right, <laughs> dude. <laughs> actually, but I mean, one could argue. <laughs> one could one could argue. I remember when I had a friend come when the the basis of Thursday was at my house and we were making a vegan pizza, and my mom would just never looked at him and was like, "Oh, you're Whole Foods too." And he was just lost it. He was like, holy shit. Oh, that's amazing. And so, but they're great people, and I'm, I'm grateful to have the upbringing I had, but not necessarily always, like, was music the thing. Yeah. And it was always like you, like, I would get my guitar, like, taken away as punishment, mm-hmm. or, like, like, hidden. Or, like, that would be like, if you don't study, if you don't do well, like, we're, like, <laughs> I remember one time my mom put, like, a garbage bag over my guitar, which is like, you can't play it until you finish your midterms. Which to me sounds like some, like, matilda shit at this point <laughs> but right it was i don't know that was just like what well, we that was like i loved playing music that much she knew it how do you motivate someone to do anything i don't know i'm not here to talk about the mechanisms of parenting right but uh, <laughs> uh but to, yeah it was, yeah i mean to 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 your point i mean it make makes sense when uh you know parents are looking at what their children are doing and it's never from um well usually it's not from a judgmental standpoint it's usually just like well i just want you to be okay and yeah it's hard it's totally. like you said it's a tough sell when um you know the the thing that you are doing doesn't seem sustainable it doesn't seem to have like any sort of roadmap to uh, define yeah. define it still doesn't. like yeah. I, I still get any discrepancies or 
confusion my parents may have about like, well, how is this, what's going to happen next year? Like, how do you know this is going to keep happening? Right. I think like, I don't, yeah. I have absolutely no idea, but I will go to work in a job as soon as I have to. But right now I can do this and I really want to. So they're supportive now and I'm very grateful for it. I mean, my rent in Philadelphia is $200 a month. I keep my costs pretty low to make sure that we can, I can keep doing this. So I don't know. They're, they're as long as I'm not, I've never, I haven't asked them for money. I don't think ever. So, uh, there we go. It's yeah, success that, to me. That is successful. <laughs> All right. Pardon this interruption, but this is uh, actually very, very important to me. So for those of you that have been paying attention to the show, uh, know that my wife has been uh, struggling with cancer and it's a long and tedious journey and uh, it's filled with a bunch of uncertainties. But um, there are things that I have been able to do in order to you know, lift her spirits. And one of them was ordering from Bloom That. Now, you know, you're going to be like, oh, flowers. Like, what, what's the difference between one flower company and the other flower company? This is the real deal. So Bloom That, what they do is they, they cut their flowers here in the United States. And what they do is they ship them to you super fast. So by the time that you get them, the blooms will actually be happening. Because, you, you know, you've had experiences with probably other horrible flower companies that, uh, you know, you get the flowers. They don't look like what you saw on the website and, um, you know, your, your mom or your significant others, like, oh, like, th- thanks for that. It's, it's pretty, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of left at that. This, no joke. I got these for my wife. She received them and was just like, you know, she had, she had some, some tears welling up. It was a very beautiful experience for me. And, you know, I wasn't doing it just to, like, oh, pat myself on the back, but just to give her that experience of something that will, uh, like I said, lift her spirits. It's awesome because it comes in a nice very nice presentation it's got like a burlap sack around it it has an awesome awesome vase with it and trust me you your significant other your mother because mother's day is right around the corner right like and you're, you're looking for that perfect gift please i mean my wife is also a mother because our son is six years old so this is the real deal and i can't recommend it enough so go to bloom that.com slash words and bloom is b-l-o-o-m that t-h-a-t slash words and you will find the perfect flower set for whoever it is that you're ordering it from and it's awesome because if you use that url you get a free vase and caramel treats so like who doesn't like that so please trust me this this is the real deal this is an independent company they are trying to you know take down the big boys and you don't need to order from them just do your mom or your significant other a favor and get them beautiful beautiful flowers from bloom that so again bloom that.com slash words for a premium design bouquet free vase and treats please don't wait bloom that.com slash words boom i solved your problems now on with the show the way that you're describing you know your your environment and how you're raised i mean you definitely had a artistic spark inside of you and you um you know you maybe didn't gravitate towards uh some of the activities of what your peers were involved in in high school and stuff like that was was old gray technically your first band that you started to like play out sh- with shows with and you know kind of experience yeah. that yeah oh my first that was that was like my first band that i like i think anyone ever heard outside of my high school okay um but I, I started playing in bands when I was in, I started playing guitar in like eighth grade and, uh, February of that year, one of my closer friends, uh, Andrew Allard passed away and, uh, uh, he 
had bacterial meningitis and uh, he was like one of the instigators in getting me involved in playing guitar so I was like well I'm going to continue to play guitar um, because it's what he would want me to do so I ended up you know, working my ass off and being and I just ended up playing in his spot in the band and I couldn't really play guitar I just like learned what I had to learn and filled that spot it was a Christian rock band called AKL um, and then from there I went and started a post-rock band called No Man as an Island because uh, I, I in fact did take um, junior year English and I believe it was John Don. He has a poem called No Man's an Island. I don't know. Maybe it's Sean Don. No, Sean Don is like Jay-Z, right? Yeah, Sean. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Sean no, Sean, Sean, John. Sean John. That's, that's P. Diddy. Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, you know what? I don't know. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, this is, it's not. It's not what we really came here for to identify the totally. the, the, the brand clothing and who owns it. But yeah, um, and that was a post rock band. No vocals. I couldn't sing for any. Old Gray only started. Only we screamed because I didn't know one how else to deliver the words, and two because I couldn't sing. Okay. Um, and so yeah, that No Man's Land was a band. And that's when. Charlie, who drums in Sword Noise, drums in Old Grey. We've been best friends since I was 16, and he's played in every band I've been in pretty much since. Um, so that's where we started playing in that band. And then I got mad at Charlie and started another band called, I think, Talazita. And that's the only one of my like previous bands, Old Grey and Sword Noise, that's on um, Bandcamp still, I think. And uh, that was like, I thought I invented twinkling emo music with that band. Like, I like was like finger tapping and like some yelling and stuff, and I'd never heard like any anything of the like Algernon, anything of that type of music. And then I had this one friend that I showed him what I was doing. And he's like, "Oh, word! It sounds a lot like this," and sent me like a Midwest Pen Pals or an Algernon thing. And I was like, "Holy shit! What's this?" He's like, "Dude, it's like a whole like, genre of music," and I was like. God damn it. I thought this was, I thought I was bringing something new to the table. And, uh, then Old Grace started right after that. And then that's kind of how that went. All those bands before that. Got it. Got it. Um, and once you started to, uh, you know, play out and experience shows and, you know, go out of town, uh, did you immediately take to life on the road or was that something you learned how to grow accustomed to as you did it more? Uh, I didn't, I wanted to play out a lot more than I did growing up. I remember one time, cause like, again, like I was very important in my household to like work and like have a job and, and do that. Cause I worked at a grocery store for like seven years, six, seven years. And, uh, I used to ask my boss and it was, but it was right down the street from my house. So I'd ask my boss for time off cause I wanted to go play a show, but didn't want to tell my parents because I knew they wouldn't let me drive to Connecticut or drive to like Pennsylvania to play a show. Right. So I asked and I thought it was so cool. I'd tell my boss, I was like, I'm going to play a show in Connecticut. And she's like, awesome, sweet, take the day off, do you. And then my mom would come in and like look at the schedule and be like, oh, why is Cam having this day off? And she's yeah. like, oh, he's going to play a show in Connecticut. And I'm like, and she's like, oh, no, he's not. And so I like, there was countless times where like old Grey bailed on shows because I just got it. I was just like, oh, we'll go play this thing. It won't be that big of a deal. And my mom was like, it's a Wednesday. You're still in high school. Why are you going to Pennsylvania tonight? And I was like, oh, we'll be right back. And she's like, no. It's just like, I don't know. That's just how it went. And so, uh, but I did love 
went on our first tour with uh, first tour I ever did was with William Bonnie, Empire Empire, and Perfect Future, and that was like six days. From, I booked it myself from New Hampshire down to DC, and it was like it was crazy. It was still like a again. I wasn't anticipating like making a living off of it, so it was really just like fun. Not that it's not fun now, but it was like you were going into it, saving up some money, planning to lose it. Like it was like a vacation. It was like cool. I'm gonna play some music, my, like do what I love with my friends because I saved up and worked, you know, eighty hours a week for a couple of weeks just to go out for this one week. And so back then, it was I loved it. It was incredible. We had our first tour. Everyone on. We had our van broken into. We had played a couple seven band gigs. Had some houses fall through. Played a back someone's literal back porch in like suburban New Jersey and played a you know it was it was something I had never experienced before so it was yeah I guess it was addicting in that nature that I just like immediately couldn't think of the next time I was couldn't wait to think of the next time I could be able to go out and play music again yeah I I, I like the way that you describe it because it definitely is, it, when you first start playing out it does feel like an addiction where you're just like you look for places to play in your surrounding like you know four hours and you're just like wherever there is something happening like i would like to go there and i'd play play in front of people totally 100 percent, yeah it's yeah it's so it's so interesting um you know something that's been uh you know poured over in regards to you and the release of the the new record and everything is you know your spirituality and you calling yourself christian um you know you identifying with that label because you know i think it's so um i mean i i'll front load it by saying i myself you know identify as a christian even though there's a lot of things i don't agree with in regards to religion as a whole um but i i find it so interesting because so many people uh, the way that they speak about it in you know the other pieces that people have done on you is that it seems like oh this seems like an oxymoron like he believes this and he calls himself Christian but then he believes this um, you know I mean for people who I believe are similar trains of thoughts to like maybe you and I and granted I'm projecting here but uh, the uh, it's it's a personal choice you know it's the uh, the relationship that you have with you know your spirituality is is very individual. And, uh, totally. I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, have you found it strange that like you, you have to, I, I feel like you have to like vouch for. Yeah. Go, coming up in like, I've worn ran across since like I was probably in 11th grader. Like I have a crucifix I wear on my neck that my mom gave me. Uh-huh. And even early in shows, even now, if I still went to houses and like I would play a show or something like that, it would pop out. Um, people be like, Oh, what's that? Like, and I was like, oh, this is like my crucifix. And they're like, what, what do you, why you, why you, why is that your vibe? They're like, what, what's with that? And it's just like, what do you mean? What's with that? Like we're, we're supposed to be in this place that I don't know. We're just like all trying to see. It doesn't necessarily mean that like I dislike homosexuals because I'm a Christian. Like that's why I separate myself from Catholicism and a lot of other beliefs because there's, there's very few social issues I believe in that any church has that I've come to find that I uh, see similarly with. I'm sure you're on the same page where it's like, okay, well, I obviously believe in a higher structure and believe that there's something greater than myself, but I don't necessarily believe that I'm obviously pro-choice and like uh, as strong of a supporter as I can be for the LGBTQ community. And uh, religion doesn't always match up with that. And so it's, uh, 
I think there's no need to, I, for me personally, to identify as, as a living, but a kind of a Christian or a God-fearing person, I guess, in general, because I don't identify with a lot of the social structures that they imply. Yeah. No, I, I like, I like that, uh, the, the, the terminology of that I think is important just because <clears throat> I do think, I mean, that if I, I personally am pushed, like people, you know, like, well, are you Christian? I'm like, well, yeah, I guess technically I, I am because I believe in, in God and I believe in, uh, you know, some of the things that are attached to it. But then your religion, it's a man-made thing. So by definition, it's imperfect. Totally. It's imperfect. Yeah, 100%. And so anyway, I just find it like in the research I was doing for this, I just found it very interesting because I think so many people have written from it from that perspective. And I'm just like, oh, well, like that's, again, that's just kind of, you know, who you are as a person. And that, that should, yeah. that's shouldn't really that shouldn't really be at odds with like oh like well you you smoke weed so therefore you're burning in hell in eternity yeah totally yeah no not at all uh i hope not <laughs> yeah, I, I technically none of us know but <laughs> totally yeah that's the thing is also you'll never know so why let someone influence your own fear of god yeah Has like you should have your own thing that you are specifically putting it in because as soon as you get to i think it's I don't know, probably Vonnegut once in like, uh, is it Cat's Cradle or uh, something at one point he talks about, um, as soon as we know God, it, or we try and understand God, but if we were to understand God, we, he would be no greater than we are. Mm, yeah. Because that's the whole point is the mystery and the greater power. So it's like a lot of people are trying to influence you on their beliefs and their systems and their structures that are man-made. And it's like, sure, you can adhere to that if that's something that you find uh, place of value in and, and merit but if you don't then you should not feel any pressure to adhere to any specific religious standard or at least I don't think so yeah because Ju- uh, when Julian Baker was doing a lot of interviews for her record when it came out last year or so uh, or two a year and a half ago there was a lot of interviews that I thought were like so funny she's a really like good friend of mine and uh, it would say like the headline of the interview would be like Julian Baker is queer from the south and Christian, Christian. yeah totally and it's just like I would just screenshot and be like, Julian Baker can breathe and wear his pants. Like, it's so weird to, like, have those be your defining qualities because, it, or, like, have people make a narrative out of that. Like, I don't know. It seems strange to me. Yeah, totally. Do you, uh, so, something I've also found interesting, especially just because you, you know, since Surrey Noise is, uh, you know, getting more attention and, you know, you're playing larger shows and that sort of stuff. Um, how has the concept of, you know, people and especially too, because you speak about, you know, dark subject matter, um, that is directly related to a time in your life that you might not be experiencing now, but people, totally. but people clearly listen to it and project on you. Um, you know, I, I know this is probably a complicated question and there's like five different ways that you can <laughs> answer this, but, um, have you had to kind of learn how to, um, I guess it not only interact with people at shows, but then be able to, um, you know, kind of go through these emotions over and over as you play these songs out. Yeah. It takes, a, it takes a certain amount of emotional availability to do either of those things. Um, and a lot of times I don't have the capacity to do both. Um, so, um, when we play, we don't have a set list. So I kind of just navigate us through what songs we're playing based on how I think I can handle them. Cause genuinely there's some songs that's hard to play some nights and I'm going to be the first to admit that. And to be able to have to look down in a set list and keep thinking like, okay, in three songs, I have to do this one song that I don't know if I'm going to be able to like really do because it's difficult to, to perform in the current headspace I am. And it'll either, I'll either act with no emotion and it'll be upsetting to me or I'll have, all my emotion in it and I may like lose spin off the handles a little bit 
and at the same time after a show or before a show i want to obviously talk to anyone and everyone who can who has came to support me or has taken anything away from the music i've done but sometimes it's very hard especially because I, I struggle with manic depression like uh dealing with anxiety as well that is outside of the person that's asking me the question but sometimes maybe someone will ask me a question or like maybe we'll want to take a picture or something like that and there's been times where i would have been i say that like genuinely i feel really anxious right now i need to go back outside to smoke a cigarette or just go for a walk i really appreciate this maybe if we catch up in a bit if i see you again i would love to do this I, and i want people to know I don't want people to think like, cause you know, next thing it is, is someone turns around and says, you know, camp sucks. He wouldn't take a fucking picture with me. And then it turns to a hundred people saying like, yo, camp sucks. He's just a bad dude because like without, and then it's research. So I want people to know as much as I can. that like, obviously I would love and I'm gratefully appreciative, appreciative of everything that they have done to support me. But sometimes I'm, it's just like, I'm not in the emotion of, emotionally available space to be able to interact with other people just as like in the same way I sometimes I can't even talk to my bandmates like it's not it's nothing against anyone at a show personally or against a performance or something I'm doing and it's hard to communicate but I've tried to navigate that over the past two and a half years of like really touring to try and be able to like be open with what I'm going through and hopefully people understand and not just think I'm a dick. Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I think too, there's always the, um, the, the fear that especially cause the worlds that, you know, we come from of, you know, playing basement shows and all ages venues and all that sort of stuff. And then once you start to enter the world of, you know, rock clubs and things are a little bit slicker, still comfortable, but slicker, um, has has that been an easy adjustment for you to be like okay like now um you know i can actually hear myself on stage or like you know those those nice things then coupled with the fact you're you know trying to keep the shows intimate i imagine as well uh one funny story about that is i've never used in-ears and in-ears is like a thing people use a lot yeah um and uh chris crabble who sings in dashboard confessional asked me to play a subordinate song during a dashboard set like in the middle of the set i went and played a song of ours um, that he ended up covering for uh, an EP put on Spotify. And um, there was no monitors on stage. So I barely even use monitors in the first place. Like, I appreciate them. Right. Sometimes it just, like, sometimes it just, like, it, sometimes it just, you can put too much in there or too little and you end up depending your whole thing on that. But sometimes the stage is too big to not take anything in there because your guitar amp is fucking 45 feet away from you. And, uh, how else are you supposed to hear it? So, well, Chris was like, you use your, use these in-ears and you can hear yourself while you play. And I was like, awesome. And so I put the in-ears in, played the song, came off stage and was like, whoa, those like, those are crazy. It sounded like, it sounded awesome. And while I'm going to hand them to the dude back to put away in like, I realized that they weren't even plugged into the box behind that. I was, I just heard the stage. Like I wasn't hearing anything in the headphones because they weren't plugged in. Right. And I was like, God, that says probably says a lot for me, I guess as to like, I don't know. I'm not too specific. I grew like, again, growing up playing basement shows and house shows. It's like, you, it literally sounds terrible. <laughs> it doesn't sound, there's been few and far between bands I've seen in a basement and I get blown away by energy and I get blown away by like emotions and puts into it. But there's very rarely I get blown away by the way someone sounds because it's, Usually through a broken, usually through a broken PA, and you kind of just like use your brain to EQ it, and you're like, okay, this sounds theoretically good, and uh, so yeah, I guess I guess I don't have much uh, t- 
taste for like a specific monitor mix or anything specifically like that. And, uh, I'm just, I can hear my voice. So that's good. I don't even like to hear my voice. I kind of just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really, it's, it's interesting. It's two totally different worlds. Cause you'll yeah. play it. Yeah. And cause old gray will still play like house shows and, and DIY spots a lot. Um, so within a couple of days, I could play a venue that maybe had open for a band that's 2000 people are there and play to 40 people the next day. And you know what I mean? And I love that. Right. And I think, and so you kind of, I'm in this place where I'm not, it's not like I'm because Sorgans gets the opportunity to play really big shows. It's not like I'm not still attending or performing in DIY or house shows and spaces or just like DIY, like venues and whatnot. So it's nice to never really have anything specific. So I never get used to consistency of how I'm supposed to sound. I just always use a different guitar amp. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's that's uh, yeah, that's interesting because you know because you can live in two worlds, you get two different experiences, and then you're able to appreciate the pros and cons of each one as you kind of you know evolve through both of those. And you know, as long as you still um, enjoy aspects of both, then you're going to be you know a more well-rounded person because of it. Totally. Yeah, I completely agree. The, uh, or at least under, I appreciate your understanding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Definitely. Pardon the interruption one last time, but like I said, this show is jam-packed today. We got a bunch of fun stuff, but here this is. Swordfish. This band is goddamn unbelievable. My friend Joe, who runs the label, Take This to Heart Records, sent it to me. I was immediately taken by it, and I was like, yo, we, we, we got to figure this out, man. I got to play this song on here. So the song is called Ghost Song. I'm not going to describe it anymore other than the fact that it is American football-influenced indie rock. It is beautiful. Here's the song. And please, just go, go pre-order the record. It's Take This to Heart Records. Well, you don't even need to pre-order because it comes out on May 5th, which is like in a couple days. So just go dive in, stream the record, buy the record. Just, just do it, okay? You'll listen to the song, and then we'll go back in the interview with Cam, and you will thank me for it. And a nice little note is the fact that Cam also mastered this record so that's that's a personal touch to the reason why i'm describing this so anyways swordfish song's called ghost song take this to heart records do it up more like a sheet with two eye holes cut out that i wore last halloween so that you couldn't see my mouth when i
the thing I find uh, interesting too about um, you know everybody is, uh, speaking about you know more specifically the your your newest record um, of just you know like oh my gosh he talks about you know friends dying and you know suicide and like everything else that um, you know. The way that people speak about it is like a lot of these subjects like haven't been broached before in music. And it's like, well, no, like this people talk about really dark and depressing stuff like all the time. And I'm not saying that you are being like, oh, my record is wholly unique. It's wholly unique for you because it's your experiences. Totally. But are, are, you, are you surprised that people are, I guess, reacting to it where it's just like, oh, Cam, like, are you OK? Is this like this is really dark stuff? Like, you know, how is that kind of sitting in your head? I think it, it definitely weirds me out when someone tries to build a narrative out of it uh, is like, cause I understand that like on paper story-wise it looks, you just say dude had some friends pass away. Here's the album. He wrote about it. Right. And people are like, Ooh, yes. He struggles. Like this must be heartbreaking. And it is, but there's a lot of things in life that are heartbreaking. And I, one thing that concerns me especially is the tokenization of like my friends who passed away. It was like, by no means do I want this to make this like, you feel bad for me or feel bad for them. It's like, you don't, no one knows them except for my friends that know, knew them and myself. And it's hard sometimes when people try and spin it in a way that it is like, you're so strong for singing about these things. It's like, well, that's what music is for. And there's no part in my process where I'm ever anticipating that you're going to hear it. Like I just write the song and then I happen to play in a band and then that band happens to put out music and that's where I'm at now. So it's, uh, it's scary to sometimes kind of, cause people have also asked like, do you think that you will stop putting yourself like out there or talking about things? And it's like, well, what am I going to talk about? This is like what's going on in my life. This is what my brain is thinking about. Should I fake other music or pretend like th- other, like other things are happening that isn't this, there's, I, this is, these are the thoughts that are in my head. And so I definitely struggle with the idea that building a narrative out of someone's grief is however important to, Maybe people read and get to know the band, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. But it is frustrating to me when it is about real human beings right. involved in my, my life. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, and especially uh, not to get morbid about it, but people who clearly can't have a response about it. You know, like it's totally, a, it, yeah. it, it, it's a different story if this is you know your one sided version of a relationship gone wrong, and not to say that you know people on the other side of that song written by millions and millions of bands have ever come out or like, Oh no, here's like my side. I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe publicly with like huge, huge, you know, movie stars and music stars to have, but yeah, totally. But yeah, but there's the, the, I understand your uh, preciousness about it where it's like, okay, like I appreciate that, you know, people are identifying with this, but you know, the real, the real point of this is to capture, uh, or, or maybe I'm just putting words in your mouth, but capture the emotion of the moment as opposed to, um, let this person, like you said, become a token. Totally, hundred percent. Yeah, that's it's, it is like based in songs are a snapshot for especially me. Like a specific moment is not necessarily lending itself to uh, the way I feel all the time. Yeah, but certain moments or certain days or certain weeks are harder, and uh, that's what it, like it may not be. I may have a 
I'm not able to, like I'm not able to talk about a lot of the emotions I think that I feel on some of the songs I write because they happened in that moment and that emotion was specific to how I was feeling then it's not like I don't know you don't like drop your high, Linkin Park hybrid theory CD on the floor and it breaks in half and you, you, you don't think about it for the rest of the week you think about it when you want to listen to Linkin Park yep Totally. Yeah. <laughs> does that make sense? No, yeah, it, it absolutely does. Um, there's two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. One of them is the uh, notion that you actually, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, you did your mail order up until a year ago yourself, and you seem to have uh, a mind for the creative side of the band as well as the you know, business side of the band as well, just be, you know, booking shows. And, you know, even though a lot of the times when we're doing these things, we don't view it as business moves. We just view it as moves that you're making in order to exist as a band. But totally did that side of the band and the bands that you played in come naturally to you? Or did you kind of need to learn how to do that? Um, or do you just like not care for it at all? (laughs) Like the business side? Yeah. Yeah. Totally had to learn. I was in a band with, uh, two people that started in old gray were not like, uh, I really wanted to do it. So I had to constantly work. I remember not work, but like I would do anything to like try and I don't know how to phrase it. It sounds weird. Um, an example, one time in 2000, probably 13, I went to see Bonavire and we were skeletons play. a show. I think we actually may have played that show at uh, wacky castle in Austin, mass. And I knew Kevin Duquette, who handed Top Shelf Records, would be there. And uh, so I burned a CD of the Newell Gray record I recorded. This, uh, and I wanted to hand it to him. Because I knew that was the only way. Because he wasn't going to look at my email. I was just another email, a drop of the hat. And so but I didn't have like the courage to give it to him at the end of the day. And I just throwing it away in a trash can. Um, because I got like scared of the scenario. But then I followed up a million times. And I was always, you know, I think the term punishing, like I was literally punishing people. Oh yeah. And into like getting to know me or letting me into their life and letting them, you know, hitting up people relentlessly booking, like my booking agent now, Greg Horball, who, but I like is now a really dear friend of mine. And I'm, he's been booking us since he was still in, like in his house. But I like, punished him i would send him a band a day being like yo you ever heard this band thinking it was like the right move like i was just trying to get my foot in the door so that i could get my next foot in the door and then eventually i could be in the door and i still don't even feel like i'm in the door i still feel like i'm constantly throwing feet out um but i just think that it's like i don't know i would i would stay there's like countless examples of like i don't know i would just like been nothing meant more to me so i would i would like sit outside for a couple hours if it meant meeting someone like knowing they were doing maybe a session at a radio station. I would just like bring them food and try and time it. So they're back. It sounds insane, but I just like knew that networking was the way to get to the place that I want. And that's the sad truth of it is that like, maybe my bands aren't even that good. Maybe I've just been able to meet people that have maybe felt pity on me to just, to just support what I do. I don't need <laughs> weird kind of perception that you get with that. Right. But I was just like, there was, there was relentless. Like when I was starting off and, by the time I think maybe 2014 or 20, yeah, 2014, I probably like something shocked into me and I was like, holy, what am I doing to these poor people? And then I completely reversed. So now I'd like, obviously still like get to know people. And, but now I'm like in more of a headspace of like, I'm going to do my own thing. 
And if someone wants to talk to me about it or check it out, like that would be C, but I'm not going to force it on anyone anymore. But I think it's important that you kind of have to do that starting off unless you're like, I don't know, Steve I. It's like, I don't know. You have to, you have to like get it in somewhere. And some people are very lucky that they get supported from the beginning with some people work five, 10, 15 years, just trying to get absolute punk to post about your band. And it's important to know that, that there is constantly a grind and that you can't really stop, especially if there's a, something that you truly want to do with it. Yeah, no, it's a really, and I think the important point that you were making there too is like there's a right way and wrong way to do things. And when you start to realize like, oh, maybe what I did previously, like you said, you know, stalking people, um, you know, maybe it wasn't the right, yeah, like wasn't the right, (laughs) yeah, it wasn't the right approach, but like it did, you know, yield me these, these results. So like maybe in the future I'll do a different version of that that won't be as you know you know it can't be written off because i was a 14 year old kid you know it's like you if you if you did that behavior now when you're you know 23 24 years old people would just be like yo that camp dude's weird man he just yeah totally (laughs) yeah luckily i was i had the youth beneath my wings i had the uh man goes to manchester central high school still in my facebook bio (laughs) so they knew that i was a toddler right yeah they're like (laughs) you're like this yeah we gotta we gotta give this kid some time in order to know that uh, yeah he's fine i'll listen to this stupid ep (laughs) of his friends thing he sent me yesterday six times yeah totally (laughs) yeah sent you in six uh six separate emails one song and it's just like dude you you're, you're killing it, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it's so weird. I don't know. There was, like, a time in my life where I even, like, it just comes also with anxiety, too. Like, I would, uh, this sounds maybe completely insane, but I used to be so anxious about phone calls and calling people that, like, this is probably, like, when I, this is definitely when I saw the flip phone, maybe seventh or eighth grade, I would call someone and hang up immediately. And then when they called me back, I would act like I didn't call them. And be like, oh, oh, that must have been my phone on like my button. How's it going? And that would be like ease over my anxiety into the conversation. And it was, it sounds crazy, but like that was just something I did when I was younger. I don't know why, but it was like the anxiety of trying to force you like to make someone interested in you or talk to you or feel like they have any obligation or reason to have have a conversation with you that's from a very bare bones standpoint where I was at. So yeah, well, yeah, you come stride. Right. That's you have to take it in stride rather. Yep. That's where, that's where you're coming from. So that's, uh, that's the reality that you dealt in. Does that sound weird, dude? How weird does that sound? No, no, dude, that doesn't sound (laughs) honest. Well, everybody goes through their, their ticks of what, calms them in situations that may seem normal to most people and so it's like yeah you know what uh, a phone call was to you at that time you know many people would be like oh there's no way that i could ever like you know get a get a guitar and stand in front of people whereas like you know you would be like oh yeah that's like that's not a problem at all or whatever yeah totally yeah sometimes i find it difficult like oh what do you mean you can't just like play the guitar in front of these people it's like this is is normal this is what you just see (laughs) um but then there's other things you don't talk about like i up until a week ago was informed do you ever go up the stairs on your hands like an animal oh yeah yeah i thought i never talked to anyone about that but that was the weirdest thing i did <laughs> i would like do it in privacy and like like i would like you're home alone you're straight taking up the stairs to your bedroom and you just, you put both front of your hands on there give yourself an extra push yeah and then one of my roommates saw me doing it i was like i felt like i was naked i was like oh dude yeah that was this crazy why were my hands on the stairs he was like we're well, gonna act like everyone doesn't do that and i was like what do you mean he's like dude everyone does that yeah and i was like 
Oh my God. So we all have idiosyncrasies that we don't, that we, all, we all have things that we don't think other people relate to. And that's the part of the thing about music too, is that you find out maybe this one thing this person does in a song you also do. And you're like, Oh shit, this is crazy. Like we're both, I'm not the only one. Right. And that goes on a, a multitude of levels and surfaces. So yeah, no, but yeah, I never knew it was okay to walk upstairs with your hands. It's probably still not cool. Right. Well, it's, it, you don't know until you express it and hopefully you're, totally. and, and hopefully you're expressing it in a, in a safe enough place where it's just like one person, you know, can bounce off you where you're like, yo, do you do this? And they're like, no man. And then you like, <laughs> be like, all right, cool. I'm not talking about that with anybody anymore. <laughs> yeah. Me, me either, dude. Ask, asking, me either. asking for, a <laughs> um, the, uh, the last thing I wanted to hit on was the, um, you know, the, the fact that, uh, I mean, you've mentioned in other places, but then, you know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation where, um, you know, you're, you're making a living off your music now where you don't have to, you know, hustle to find, you know, a bagel shop job in between tours and stuff like that. You have enough to be able to subsist yourself on, you know, whatever your $200 or rent a month in Philly. Um, the, you know, it, is it one of those things where you, uh, you basically just feel like you kind of mentioned at the top where you're just going to ride this out as long as it, it feels appropriate. Um, and I guess until the creative ideas run dry, um, is it one of those things you'll always find yourself creating, even if you aren't, you know, a full-time quote unquote touring musician? How does that totally? Sound? Okay. I think so. I think fully, I, I just don't, I wear, I wear tight. I am wearing, um, what am I? I've been wearing the women's super skinny jeans from H and M since I was about 18. And I had the thought the other day, it was like, when is this going to stop? Like, when am I going to start wearing normal pants like rest of society? Right. And I couldn't, I was like, I don't know. That time will probably come when it does. Like someone will buy me a pair of jeans and I will, excuse me, we'll just wear them. That's just, I don't know how, when, I don't know when that's going to happen. And the same thing goes for music. It's like, I am very fortunate to be in the position I am now. And it's because I'm not like, I work at a recording studio. I'm mixing bands. I'm mastering records. And I'm like constantly working on trying to produce different bands and, and help with that stuff. So I feel like regardless of not having to work a job outside of music, I'm still working as hard as I can. Um, constantly just cause that's what I know. And it just like makes sense to me. I have to have some sort of regiment to my life. Otherwise, I feel like I'll just go fully insane because it's such a weird type of like the idea of go on tour for two months, come home and do whatever for a month before you do it again. I don't know. It's not very conventional and it's hard to build relations with friends or keep in touch with people through that type of way of surviving. So, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I know. Will uh, I, I, yeah, I think I, I also just like can't like I see myself not being creative for a while when that time comes I don't know but if there comes a point in my life where I'm just satisfied and there's nothing that's going on in my head I hopefully wouldn't write music I'd, the last thing I'd want to be would be to someone to be to force an idea or a music musical concept or a story that isn't necessarily relevant to my life as a whole and so yeah totally I could see myself again that could be also be any day I could today from starting off this conversation it could take me three years before I wrote a song again for some reason who knows and I would rather just ride that out, maybe play in a band as like a rhythm guitarist or a bassist or something like that. As long as I just get to keep playing music, I could really care less about what I have to do to do it. I just do it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's such an important point because the idea that, uh, 
the, to me, the saddest thing about watching, you know, your average citizen is what I like to call them, where, you know, your, your person, your, your person that get, you know, gets beaten down by the, you know, daily rigors of life, whether it's like, you know, showing up to work and working so hard and then, you know, you get home and there's no time for anything to explore. And that, that you know, when they when people give up their creative pursuits, even if they're just doing an hour in the, uh, of the week, that's when it's become sad where it's just like, dude, don't give up on that thing. Like, that's when you just become, you know, the whatever, the, the zombie human being that everybody, you know, tries to rally against in the first place. But, the sentient being. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I really like your uh, view and philosophy on that because, you know, as, yeah, you're not going to be incredibly prolific and inspired, you know, for 80 years of your life. There'll be like a couple of years where you're just like, oh, yeah, I just like to like live life, you know, like just do my yeah, thing. Yeah, I just, I do my thing. And I think that is ideal for everyone. Everyone wants to hit that. Yeah. And so it's like, why, if you can't write music and can't be creative, obviously, I think there's other avenues to do it in, but like, why force creativity in a place that it's not? able to exist yeah and i think that's when you're gonna write stuff that you don't necessarily like without putting anyone on the spot i'm trying to think like i don't know i don't think of like like dave bazan is someone who is i've never heard a song he, he didn't write that didn't seem full of intent yep or have something behind it like in my opinion i don't think he's i've never really heard a dave bazan song that was bad or a song that mostly because my definition of bad is something that doesn't evoke emotional response and I think that everything he's done and touched, and I think he's a person that wouldn't do anything if he couldn't. And, uh, but you see, I mean, like Isaac's, Isaac Brock isn't going to write fucking, it's a long, long drive with nothing to think about now. But <laughs> he wrote, he wrote that because he was in that place. So he wrote me and, uh, or he wrote, I'm trying to, that. wow, I'm on live. Here, no, no, and I'm stuttering on my modest mouse discography well, now. Well, dude, it's okay. Uh, it's okay because I, I legit hate mod- modest mouse, so I can't help you. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm leaving you high and dry. But anyways, you're. you're oh, anyway, your point. Uh, I'm trying to think. What is it? Uh, Lonesome Credit West. That's the record I'm thinking of. There you go. But he wrote that because he was. Uh, I imagine he wrote it because that was the experiences he was going through at the time. Just as I wrote this record because of the experiences I did at this time, and the same reason that. You know, Carly Rae Jepsen did her record at the same. We all have specific time and places in which we do our records. Yep. And uh, yeah, but if you really like a band because of something they did once, you think I think you'd probably be a fool to, to like them, hoping they do it again because it's just not going to happen. And if it does, it's probably going to. That person's probably got a really weird life. <laughs> but every record should be different because you don't want to copy yourself and you should be, in my opinion, I know I'm throwing a lot of hard stances out there with the word we, but uh, yeah, I just think it's, and so to listen to Modest Mouse now, you have to go into it saying, okay, he's a, Isaac Brock is a dude of different experiences now. Or if Nick Jonas was to put a new record out tomorrow, I'd be like, well, he's not in the Jonas Brothers anymore. He's probably a 25 year old dude that maybe I'm going to at least give this a shot again because he's not the same person he was when he was in the Jonas Brothers or anyone for that matter, I think it's important to always, you got to go into each record with a different ear and not hope to hear what you heard before, because hopefully they don't have the same thing, same stuff to say. Totally. People can shed, people can shed their artistic skin and all of a sudden be a new being and be like, Oh wow. Like that, that is a very honest representation of, you know, what they were like, what they got like him. who I don't really know personally, but he went from being in tiger's jaw and now he does, uh, uh, 
What's his project now called? Dude, you got me, man. I didn't know that he wow. had another project. Yeah, he has, he does like uh, I don't remember what the genre would be called, but he does like a very like it's a it's a definitely it's a separate kind of subculture than Tiger Shy existed in. And he's Wicked Face. Wicked Face Spring Eternal is what the project is called. Okay. And it's just really it's this thing that he quit Tiger's Jaw, I believe, to do, and that's awesome. And so that's a different sphere he found himself in. And people do that all the time. You can totally do what you want to do whenever you want. You can do what you want to whenever you want to, in the words of Elliot Smith. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's just important to know. You shouldn't be pigeonholed to one sound or one vibe. Yep, totally agree. Well, Cam, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time and hanging Thanks out. For having me. Yeah, it was it was enjoyable for me. I'm I'm glad that it was uh, engaging for you as well. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, this is really awesome, dude. All right, this episode is so good. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. How about how about Cam? Just being a great dude, great conversationalist. Love having this discussion, and the fact. I just felt like this was like a perfect balance of exactly what it is that I'm trying to execute. So, you know, you have some sponsors, you have some some new music that I put in your ear. You had a great discussion with a person who is, you know, very up and coming, relevant, everything that's happening within music currently. And I just, uh, yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for joining on this this ride. Thank you very much for Cam. Thank you very much for Emily, his publicist, who helped hook this up. And uh, Zach, his uh, manager, who's a good friend of mine and uh, just a good dude. Just want to give him a shout out. So uh, anyways, that is that. The music, as always, that is supplied to this show is Lowercase Noises. He has a new record coming out, The Swiss Illness. It's coming out very, very soon, a couple weeks. Go to lowercasenoises.com. You can pre-order it. Check it all out. It's beautiful. I've had the honor and privilege of working alongside of him to gear up to the release to it. And uh, it's awesome. So yeah, that's that. And uh, next week is Josh Skogan. He is on the show, and he is the vocalist for 68, and he also played Norma Jean in The Chariot. He, this is also another person who I had on my list for quite some time, and then the opportunity arose, and I was like, hey, let's go ahead and talk to him now. So, boom, there you have it. And uh, we're also approaching the five-year anniversary for the show. I, I've been kind of tossing around whether or not I should like make this a big deal. And frankly, I don't care. Like, I mean, I care in the sense that the show has existed for five years, but these arbitrary markers of like, oh, the fifth year episode needs to be like this extravaganza. And I'm like, how about I just make it another episode? So yeah, how about that? Anyways, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's what's going on in my head. And uh, I hope that you have a great rest of the week and a great rest of the day, whatever it is that you're doing. And uh, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.